The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. A look at the conference semi-final where the Canadians have a chance to win a trophy that they've never won before, the uh, the Cam- Clarence Campbell Trophy. Joining me today with our uh, Vegas perspective is Danny Webster, Las Vegas correspondent for NHL.com and also the manager of Knights on Ice, uh, our SB Nation sister site. Uh, Danny, how are you doing? Doing good, Jared. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And we're going to start this with with the one connection I think that lots of people are going to be talking about, besides the fact that Marc Andre Fleury is from Quebec, because I or because I think that's that's the second most talked about storyline going into this. But <laughs> obviously, the trade that the two teams made uh, between you know the the captain of the Canadians at the time, Max Patch Ready, and and Nick Suzuki coming the other way with Thomas Tatar, and you know it, it's kind of funny because I feel like a lot of fans kind of knew the trade was coming but from a Vegas perspective what was the reaction I guess to that trade and because it was a kind of different trade for for a team at the time that was you know going into from contention to okay we're going to be a contender now yeah I mean I I was actually writing this in my series preview that'll be going up on Monday right before game one and you know Kelly McCrimmon the general manager here he had mentioned on Friday that you know before they made the trade for Mark Stone um, back in the February deadline of 2019, that the Golden Knights went from a cute story that reached the cup final in year one to, okay, now we're in contention. I think the argument can be made that the deal for Max Pacioretty is really what set this in motion because the Golden Knights is literally three, what, three months after they made the run of all runs, they came within three wins of winning the whole thing in their first year. And, you know, you go back to even before that season started, no one gave them a chance. I, I know that everybody likes to, you know, nitpick about the expansion draft rules and everything of that sort, but no one had Vegas getting 109 points or however much it was. And for them to go out the way that they did, and almost beat Washington. George McPhee, when he was GM at the time, he made it clear that the one thing he wanted to improve on was the second line. After the Carlson line, who is going to be that scoring threat in the top six? And James Neal was that, but the Golden Knights were not going to resign him. Uh, David Perron, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk whether he would resign. He eventually did not. Eric Halla. Could he replicate 29 goals that he did for the Golden Knights? And obviously, of course, he would not end up doing that. So the Golden Knights go out and they sign Paul Stasny on July 1. And then they decide to pull the trigger to get 
a guy who, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really familiar with the dialogue in Montreal at the time. I know with Pacioretty, when he was dealing with injuries toward the tail end of his uh, run in Montreal, um, I know that I think a lot of people are ready to move on from that sense, but for the golden Knights, they were prepared to do whatever it took to get some form of star power to be that goal scorer that really they didn't have yet on a team that just came off a cup final run. And when they made the deal for Pacioretty, um, I think the, the biggest takeaway from that was, okay, they're not playing around because not only did they get a guy who can give you 30 goals a season when he's healthy, they ended up doing something that I didn't think was entirely possible in that trade. And that was give up one of the triplets from the 2017 draft. And to me, I thought that Nick Suzuki was probably going to be the untouchable one out of the three between him, Cody glass and Eric Branstrom. I thought he was the one, you know, with the wicked wrist shot and the high hockey IQ and the great passing sense that I thought that the Golden Knights were going to hold on to him instead of uh, holding on to glass and eventually moving on from Branstrom and the stone deal. So it, I think if not for the Pacioretty deal, they would not have been able to get a Mark Stone. I don't think they would have been able to get an Alex Petrangelo. I don't think they would have been able to get a Robin Leonard. The fact that after one year, they have been able to amass all this star power. And I think when you look back at that trade, they gave up a lot. Yeah, they gave up a lot. They gave up probably their best prospect in the system at the time. But I mean, I, I think it's safe to say three years now coming in with this, with uh, him being traded here and then signing that extension worth every penny. And he has come as advertised. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I, I think the, the thinking at the time was that Montreal, you know, I, I think the thinking from, you mentioned it, that glass is kind of the untouchable or, or Suzuki might've been the untouchable. Sorry. I think from a Montreal perspective, we were thinking, okay, maybe they tried to get glass and then settled for Suzuki. But but hearing what what Mark Bergevin has said since then is that they really targeted Suzuki um, from from that draft, and you know they've talked about him a lot uh, recently. And it, it's kind of funny because at the time the trade was was really you know Tatar was kind of an afterthought, you know, for, from a, a throw-in perspective, and he had a couple of great years in Montreal, and now. We're, we're getting ready for this series and he's still a healthy scratch, which is kind of where he started in, in, or finished in Vegas. So yeah, it, it's kind of ironic that, you know, he, he's been so good, part of the best line in hockey for a long time. And, and now, or one of the best lines in hockey, I'm not going to go out and say they're the best yeah. line in hockey, but one of the best lines in hockey. And then, you know, now as, as he's finally facing the team that, that he kind of, you know, lowered his, his value, he's going into free agency in kind of the same spots. So that's kind of ironic, but yeah, it, it's, I feel bad for, for Nick Suzuki because he's, he's been asked about Vegas a lot and what he remembers. And he's like, not really anything. And, and Vegas players have been asked about Nick Suzuki and they're like, what do you remember? And they're like, not really anything, but it's kind of like, they're looking for any kind of strand of, of, of anim- not, not animosity, but uh, I guess tension, I guess, heading yeah. into this. Um, I want to ask about the expectations for Vegas because we, we talked about a little bit their, their success and obviously it's visible to everybody, you know, how much success they've had, you know, at this point, they've won seven of the 10 playoff series that they've been in uh, since coming into the league. I, I, is there like a pressure on them to, to make that next step? Like would it be disappointing if, if they don't make it through to the, to the cup final again? I think there definitely is that sense that, um, and I'm actually writing that in my, in my preview too, <laughs> that it, it is, uh, 
I, I don't think it's cup or bust per se, but I do think there is that heaping expectation that, okay, we're going into year four. You've made all of these moves to get these star players. You've signed these guys long-term. You've committed to $12 million in goaltending for this particular reason. And you're going into a final four that there is no bubble. You're going to have home ice advantage all the way through the cup final. Should you get there? Um, and, and again, you have these guys, these contracts that you have committed long-term money to. And I think that going back before the Golden Knights even played a game, Bill Foley, the owner, said, you know, he wanted to make the playoffs in three and win the cup in six. And we're coming up on that six-year timeline where it, it might be time to wonder, you know, can this team really get over the hump? And, you know, you look at the way that they played against Minnesota, how they were able to finally get over the hump and beat a team that is really, for lack of a better term, owned them in their entire four-year history. And to couple that with going against the President's Trophy winning Colorado Avalanche, who, you know, I'm I'm definitely one of them that said that they were going to win the Cup this year because I thought that, you know, after consecutive second-round exits, that that team would finally get over the hump and just win it all, and McKinnon would take his place as the best player in the world. To do what they did against Colorado is, I think, the – the single greatest postseason series victory that they've had to this point. And I mean, that includes, you know, getting to the, getting to the cup final, beating Winnipeg in five, but beating them the way that they did. Not only did they beat Colorado, they dominated them. And I think you follow that up with against what's going to be, I think is a very, very good test for them in Montreal, but I think it's one that they have to win and one that they should win according to the books here. And according to a lot of the experts here, if they don't win this series, it's going to go down no matter how they beat Minnesota and Colorado, it's going to go down as a monstrous fail. And, you know, I think like, like I mentioned earlier, you sign, you trade for stone, you trade for Pacioretty, uh, you bring in Petrangelo, you bring in Leonard and you sign them all to long-term contracts this is the moment where you need your big time players to make big time plays. And they did that against Colorado. No question. Um, but this team is definitely equipped to get back to the Stanley cup final and they are definitely equipped to win it. Um, whether they actually win it, would that be considered a failure? Probably not, but the expectations are high for sure. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how they've gone from this team that, you know, has, has been, you know, near the top of, of the Western Conference to what is now, you know, other than, than Tampa, probably the overwhelming favorite right now, um, which, which is a different spot. Uh, you know, they have a lot of veterans on that team, but it's a different spot to be in when, when, you're, when you're the top dog and you're expected to win. Uh, you know, even against Colorado, you can argue they weren't necessarily expected to win. They, you know, they didn't have home ice advantage. Um, you mentioned the two series against Minnesota and Colorado. What changed? Because this is a team that, that struggled to get through Minnesota and obviously Minnesota has played them tough all year. And then, you know, they lose the first two against Colorado and then, you know, something, something changed in that series. Was there something visibly that, that, that clicked for them in, in between those, you know, the, the seven game series and, and the game three in Colorado? Yeah. I think when you go back to that game seven against Minnesota, you know, they're at home, you know, it's a must win game. You don't want to blow another three, one series lead and they go out and they, and uh, they pretty much hand 
Minnesota, probably their most sound defeat of that series. And then I think what, what really happened was that you go from game seven to game one, and you only had one day off. You had to get on a plane, fly to Colorado. You gave Mark Andre Fleury the day off, and then you go with Robin Leonard and they light him up for seven goals. And then you go into game two, you get that extra day off. So I think the Golden Knights should send the Denver Nuggets a uh, big rousing uh, fruit basket for having that day off and for the NBA scheduling the postseason the way that they did because that extra day off proved to be huge for them. I mean, first period, they came out slow in game two. And then you started to see the reason why the Golden Knights brought in Pete DeBoer was to push the right buttons in the right time during playoff time. And in the second period of game two, they started tightening up the neutral zone. They started winning more puck battles. They started, uh, you know, tightening down defensively. They were putting a lot of bodies in front of Flurry, blocking shots left and right. McKinnon was neutralized. Landis Gog and Rantanen couldn't get anything going on the wing. And then before you know it, even with Vegas down in the series 2 nothing, you had a feeling that going into game three, that they were going to at least play a little bit better. And, you know, they're down two to one with, you know, six minutes to go. And it's like, well, they go down three, nothing, clearly it's over, but they get the two goals in 45 seconds from Pacioretty and Marshall. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we can, we can play with these guys. We can hang with these guys. And then they go on game four and just whoop them. And then all of a sudden it's this whole mindset that if you stick with the game plan and stick with what you've done, for the better part of, you know, game and a half, two games now, you're going to beat this team. And they went into Colorado and stuck with the game plan and, you know, Stone scores the overtime winner in game five. And now all of a sudden you've got them on the ropes. Like they, they changed their game plan so well against Colorado. They shut down the top line and begged anybody else to beat them. And they knew that if they continued to do that and they continued to pepper Grubauer with shots, that they were going to make it happen. So um, that that whole series, you know, a, a lot of credit to the uh, to the star players for the Golden Knights, but a huge, huge credit to Pete DeBoer for making the necessary adjustments and for them playing as well as they did from game two on. Yeah, it, it's funny because you're you're saying what you're saying, and I'm like, you can copy and paste it for Montreal when when they went down three one. Is they they made an adjustment and they just you know defended. And it's not really a, a shell. It, it's just kind of just, you know, keep keep control in your end and then counterattack. And, and I think the two teams are very similar in, in the way that they, they beat what were favorite teams uh, in their two series. And, you know, both teams are coming off, you know, a, a series where they won four straight games. Obviously, uh, Vegas lost the first two and, and Montreal won the, the last three against Toronto as well. And they're on a seven-game winning streak. But it, it's very similar how they kind of flicked the switch and and got everything going and, and i think that that's going to be very interesting going into game one and obviously there, there's so many you mentioned the variables going into game one in colorado and having only that that two days you know montreal's crossing the border for the first time all season they're the first team to do so all year and and it's that's going to be interesting and obviously they're going to play in the front of a full arena for the first time also yeah. because uh they're only playing in front of you know 12 percent montreal and you know 500 fans in, in toronto and winnipeg so there's that you know it's going to be interesting to see how, how Montreal comes out in that one because they're, they're if there's one game that makes you you know weary about what's going to happen in the series it's that first game because it's it's going to be intense especially in an atmosphere like Vegas where where they're really uh taking a a, 
a, a great approach to this team and, and really making that place a, a hard place to play. And I, I want to talk a lot, a lot about uh, a little bit about the, the team itself. And th- there's a lot of players on, on Vegas that maybe aren't familiar to, you know, especially this year <laughs> when, when we don't really see any other teams, but yeah. who, who would you say from, from someone who's watched them you know, all year, their most underrated player, you know, uh, on a team that, that really has a lot of them because that's how, you know, how they build their, you know, their contender status other than, you know, the, you know, Petrangelo and, and Fleury and Patrick and Stone, but who, who's really the, the, the most underrated player, do you think uh, for, for this team? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because when you, when you watch this team and you see how good their depth is and then you, and then you kind of go line by line, you go, well, the Carlson line, they've been good since year one. So I don't know if they're really <laughs> underrated. Then you look at a guy like Alex Tuck, who, you know, continues to emerge as one of the best power forwards in the game. And, you know, he's a guy that I think around these parts has been, uh, you know, starting to be a very consistent player under Pete DeBoer. So I don't know if he could be as underrated. I, I think the universal answer um, is Chandler Stevenson. And, and I know a lot of people, you know, look at that and you say, well, why in the world is Chandler Stevenson being the top line center? Uh, in between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And really the simple answer is he's, he's earned it. The, the way that he has kind of gone from a fourth line grinder in Washington to really when he started here, a fourth line guy in Vegas, he is, uh, you look at all the centers and, and even in the pipeline that Vegas has, Chandler Stevenson is the one guy that complements Pacioretty and Stone better than anybody. And I mean, that includes Cody Glass, that includes William Carlson, that includes you know, Nick Waugh. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on. You look at centers, Stevenson's speed is so vital. He plays a very sound defensive game. He is able to maximize Stone's playmaking ability whenever he's streaking down the ice. He's a very good passer. He's able to find Pacioretty when he needs to tee up a one-timer. I mean, he is someone who absolutely earned the contract extension that he got last year. Um, and to me, when you look at guys who haven't really made an impact in the scoring department yet this postseason, you look down the list and you're like, well, if there's one guy who you think might be due rather soon and one guy who I think can break, you know, a back check, break a break, a press from a defensive team like Montreal, it might be Chandler Stevenson that has to open the game up a little bit because of that speed and that four check. So you know, I'm sure a lot of people haven't gotten a chance to see the Vegas top line in action, but when they get going, I mean, we talk about we talk about Colorado's top line, we talk about Boston's top line. When that top line gets going and they are humming at the pace they are, and Stone is playing like a Hart Trophy player, and Pacioretty's got that 30 to 40 goal touch that he has shown multiple times this year, and Stevenson is able to be a playmaker that he is. That there's not a lot of top lines that rival Vegas is. And, and I, and I know that sounds a little bit biased, but the way Stevenson kind of makes that unit go is really incredible. It, it, it's again, you know, I think these teams are, are really similar in the way that they're structured. Uh, you know, even, even down to the defense, right. Vegas has, you know, leans heavily on their top 4d uh, like Montreal does. And, and, and Philip Deneau is, is a guy who is, is pretty much, I'm not going to say he's like Chandler Stevenson exactly because, you know, I, I think you can argue that he makes the top line in Montreal as opposed to, you know, playing with, with two superstars like, like Pacioretty and, and Stone. But it's just one of those things where he's a guy where coaches will love him and, and you can kind of fit him in everywhere. And 
Montreal has a couple of guys like that. Arturi Lekkinen and Jake Evans as well are guys that you could just put anywhere and, and coaches will, they just kind of fit in. Yeah. And, and I think that, that that's, that's something that, you know, especially when you look at the secondary scoring of these teams and even, you know, in Montreal's case, they don't really have a, you know, they have Tyler Toffoli, but I wouldn't think, I don't think anybody considers him as a, as a top scorer, even though he was this season, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see how these two teams match up. And, and I wonder if, if the coaches do put uh, the stone line against the Dano line, who's going to be happier with, with that, because, yeah. you know, that, that, that it's, it could be a place where, where offense goes to die for about 20 minutes of the game. Because oh, absolutely. You have, you have, but those on the flip side of that, they're, they're all both so good offensively as well. Right. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how these teams punch and counter punch, because we don't really see, you know, Vegas very often. I mean, these teams only play 16, six games in their history yeah. against each other. So it, it's, and obviously they've changed so much since then. I mean, I was watching highlights of the last time Vegas played Montreal and you know you have guys like Kovalchuk and Domi and and Marco yeah. Scandella and it's like that, that feels forever ago from, from I, a Montreal perspective and yeah I think that was uh, I think that was Pete's second game as coach honestly because I think they I think he joined the group in Ottawa uh, right in the midst of that Canadian road trip and that was Pete's first game but and I was and I was thinking about the last time Montreal came to Vegas and play and I think that was the Denal hat trick game that sent it to overtime and then Domi won it in overtime. So a, a lot has changed with yeah. both of these groups, but to, to your point about putting the Dano line against stone against the stone line. I mean, I mean, that's pretty much what uh, DeBoer did in uh, starting from game two on, they made sure stone was out against McKinnon every yeah. single time they took the ice. And I would not be shocked in the least if Montreal did that to the same effect. Yeah. And, and when, when that happens, you kind of have to look at, in Vegas's, you know, case, the the, the Smith, Marcheseau line, Carlson, mm-hmm. and in Montreal's case, the Suzuki, the Foley line, right? Because those are the lines that you're going to want scoring from, if you you play your top line as kind of a defensive line, because I, I think Montreal would probably be happier if those both two if those two top lines cancel each other out offensively. Yeah. But then you have to hope that you know somebody else can stop Marcheseau and Smith and and Carlson and and even even Tuck. I mean. Montreal, you know, Montreal likes Alex Tuck uh, a little bit because they drafted his brother last year. That's right. And and so everyone's like, oh, if he becomes our version of Tuck, that's that's great. So uh, still a long time coming for that. There's just still a few years to go. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny that these two teams are kind of similar in the way that they're constructed. Even even going from the net out. I mean, if you look at you know Flurry and and Leonard and and Montreal with Price and, and Allen. I don't think we'll see Allen or Leonard much in this. Series. We will not. It, uh, it's Flurry and Leonard, or not Flurry and Leonard. Flurry and Price and last one standing. That that's what we're going. Yeah. If if one of those backups play, it something's gone horribly wrong for that team. Yeah. I, I think you would say you would say. Um, it's it's just it feels so weird that we're talking about a conference championship between Montreal and Vegas because yes. it's just it's just very weird um, in in a year that's been weird anyway. Um, but you know Vegas has played playoff series against Canadian teams. They played Vancouver, they played Winnipeg. Is the feeling in Vegas like different because it's the Montreal Canadiens? Like is, is that something that that resonates in you know leading up to this series? You know I I do think that there is. I think a lot of people are already tired about the the 100 year gap between the teams. <laughs> I think that's that is part of it. Um, you know, I, I think there is a lot of there's there's a cool factor to it, right? Like it's 
it's such a unique year that we're here talking about a final four and there will be conference championship trophies on the line and three Eastern conference teams remain and one Western conference <laughs> team is left standing. It's weird. Um, but I do think there is the cool factor to it because, you know, from, from a hockey perspective, I love the way Montreal plays like that, that team is so fun when they're on and they're rolling four lines and their D is as good as anybody's and price is, you know, turning back the clock. Well, not, I wouldn't even call it turning back the clock. He's still young. So it's not like he's, you know, <laughs> completely fallen off a cliff, but there's a lot to like about that Montreal team. And, you know, that I, I did, I did read the stories about, you know, the, you know, the old captains in Montreal coming to speak to the teams and, uh, <laughs> You know, that that whole ambiance there, I think I think is really cool um, that there's just a lot of history behind it. And I and I me personally, I think that's a cool angle to it. I know a lot of people are like, uh, give me a break, you know, four year team versus 101, 102 year team. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, but no, I mean, at, at the end of the day, when you look at the hockey, the hockey aspect of it, um, Montreal is so fun. Like I, I believed in them from the very beginning. I, I thought that they were going to win the North. Like I thought that they were going to take as much <laughs> of that run that they went on last year in the bubble. And I was like, you know what, if there's a team that I think can probably shock anybody and win the North in the regular season, I thought it was going to be Montreal. And especially the way Josh Anderson uh, was a huge addition for that group. Um, you know, I, I think that in a hockey sense, this is going to be a really fun series. And there's also going to be the history aspect of it, which makes it very cool. Um, but, but you're not going to see many instances where you're going to see a, you know, a 100 year gap between franchises vying for a Western conference championship. And one of them <laughs> happens to be in the East. I, th I think it's kind of funny, but I also think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, it's kind of like looking back at like 93 where Toronto played LA in the Western conference final, like yeah. it, it's just one of those things where it's like, what, what's, you know, it, it's kind of weird. Like Detroit was, has been in the West for, for a long time too. And it's it just, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, how did Montreal play Vegas in the conference champion? Like right. it, it's obviously, you know, it's in the recent, you know, in five years, people are going to remember, Oh yeah. Right. I remember, but in, in, you know, 20 years or so, it's going to be like, what happened? And it, it's going to be, obviously it's a, a strange year anyway, but it, it's, it's um it's definitely a, an interesting aspect because I, I think that there's this mystery about Vegas because you know you play a team twice in the regular season but you know if you watch the playoffs you've, you've seen this Vegas team a lot right so yeah. it's it's going to be really interesting to see how how this goes and obviously the the Patrick is still well received in in Montreal and and I That's think that it's it's going to be it, I I kind of wish that the you know, there's talk that there might be more than 12% in the Bell Center for games three and four, but it's going to be interesting to see how, how it responds, especially when, when they go into a full, full rink in um, Vegas, because I, I, I think that that's, you know, they were talking about how 2,500 fans in Montreal felt like a lot because they haven't been used to it all year. And yeah. it's, it's, I don't know if they're prepared for, for 18,000 or so in, 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 uh, in T-Mobile arena. Yeah. But the, the, the funny thing is for me, and, and, and just looking at, at these two teams is, is that going into this, Montreal's done more. Usually the Western Conference team is the one that's been traveling a lot during yeah. the season. Uh, but with the schedule this year, Montreal's been going out West uh, to play three different opponents or four if you count Winnipeg. So it, it's going to be different to see, interesting to see, because I think Montreal's more used to the travel aspect when usually it's the other way around, when 
when the Western conference team was like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, traveling to the East, big deal. <laughs> We've done that all year. And, and that that's an aspect that I think is going to be interesting once we get to, you know, games three and four, depending on how the series goes. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun because I, I don't think, I, I don't think that anybody expected this kind this matchup, especially, but I, I just think that these two teams are so similar and I, I kind of feel from a Montreal perspective, like I did going into Toronto where, yeah, nobody's giving Montreal a chance, but there is a chance that they do well. And, and I think, you know, they won game one of that series. And, and I think that, you know, if they can put up a fight in game one, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. Maybe not necessarily in Vegas or in Montreal, but, you know, more people who are, you know, giving Vegas a, a very heavy chance to win this. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I, I am one of those that think that this goes six. I, I just think that yeah. when when you get into a situation where you're when you're in a series of epic goaltending, you know, you're going to get mm-hmm. a lot of games that are going to go two one three two. And yeah. the fact that we're getting this series when Carey Price is playing as unbelievable as he is and when Mark Andre Fleury is playing as unbelievable as he is that's what you want in a final four. Like, and, and I think I, I was listening to uh, Elliot Friedman in the car cast the other day. And he, and he mentioned that the goaltending in all four final teams is insane. And the fact that, you know, we're getting a look at, you know, at least three potential hall of fame goaltenders right now in the final four is Mm -hmm. truly remarkable. And, you know, this series, it's going to come down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. And, you know, usually in a situation like this, you would credit it to Vegas, having the experience, having the cup final experience um, over against a, a very young Montreal team that is on the rise for sure. But it's like, are they ready for the moment? I, I do think that, you know, Vegas is going to find themselves in a dogfight. And I do expect them to eventually win this series, but I, I'm right there with you. There is no reason on this planet why anybody, and I, and I mean anybody, should be downplaying the Montreal Canadiens because there is no way that people can look at this series, watch what they did against Toronto, watch what they did against Winnipeg, and like Vegas should be a cakewalk, right? But no, <laughs> it should not be a cakewalk. If Vegas wins this series, they are going to absolutely earn it. If Montreal wins this series, they are absolutely going to earn it. So this series is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait for game one. I I can't wait to, you know, sit on my couch for game three and see what, uh, (laughs) what the Montreal barn is going to look like. It's just, it's going to be so fun. I I know it's not going to, it's, it's going to pale in comparison to Tampa and New York, but if you are a fan of, you know, the, the juggernaut favorite versus the, the little engine that could, I, you need to watch this series. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned, you know, four, you know, three possible hall of famers. I, I think that th- this is going to be really interesting because, you know, Montreal has been in the conference final. This is the third time since 2010, but this is really the first time that Kerry Price, you know, knocking on wood because in 2014 he was leading that team and he got hurt in game one um and and missed the rest of that series so this is really a a defining moment for him i think you know similar to how mark andre fleury was kind of riding that pittsburgh team yeah you know when he first went to vegas uh and people were like that that first year people like oh could you you know if he wins the cup is he a hall of famer and i think people are having that conversation with price this year and it's kind of you mentioned that price a little younger than flurry and i think that we're in that kind of you know point in, in price's career where he 
he has an opportunity now to make that step on his own. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot of similarities between these two. I think it's the first meeting of uh, in the final four between two top five picks and goalie who are, who are goalies. So it's going to be really interesting to see because it, like I said, I think these teams are built similarly. Yeah. And, and it's funny how they both kind of are in the same place. You know, I mentioned 2014, that was the year where Montreal was playing Ryan McDonough, who they traded to the Rangers uh, a few years earlier. And, and I think that, you know, this is a kind of similar situation, but they're on the opposite side where their veteran is now on the other side and, and they're, you know, the prospect that Vegas traded is, is, is facing them. And it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be good hockey. I think even if it goes like a, a five or six game series, I think they're going to be at least one or two overtime games oh, yeah. uh, because, you know, the, you know, it, it's going to be one goal games, I think throughout because a, the goaltending and B, you know, I, I think that, you know, the timely scoring is going to be really important as well. So uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And uh, I, I ho- hope you enjoy the series and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be following uh, nights on ice and, and uh, throughout the series, because I, I think that there's, there's a lot to, to like about this, this team. I, I think if you asked a Montreal fan, if it couldn't be Montreal to win this cup, who would it be? And I think a lot of people would say Vegas That's cool. That's um, based on I'm the teams for. that are left. I'm hoping, I'm hoping just to just the fact to work for another week is what I'm excited about. But yeah, that's it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm excited for for you guys running uh, running the site, and I'm excited for you know Montreal fans um, to to see their team make it this far is is really incredible. And I I, I am definitely one of those who are thankful that it's not Toronto um, because I cannot stand Toronto. But uh, other than that, no, I I'm looking forward to this series, and I and I can't wait to see what it brings. If Montreal fans didn't like you before this podcast, they definitely liked you after that last. <laughs> well, I, I hope if I, I hope if Montreal people never heard of me before, trust me, I am on your side. <laughs> Perfect, uh, Danny. Thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the series. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.